0: Que onda, mi gente? This is Luis Martinez, your co-host, and this episode is The Monsters of Chavez Ravine. Welcome to Spooktoberfest. I don't know. Uh, spooky October, the Halloween month, the fall season. Um, in this episode, we interview Deborah Castaneda. She is an author of horror stories, and her book, The Monsters of Chavez Ravines, takes the real-life story of the Chavez Ravine area where the LA Dodgers play. And the story takes place in the 1940s and 50s when this area was um, considered a valuable piece of land. And when the Dodgers were moving from Brooklyn to LA, they eventually bought out and eventually kicked out all the residents so that they can build a beautiful baseball stadium. Um, What she did was she took the real-life events and the horror that happened, and she added fictionalized horror on top of that for a very interesting book. The conversation with her is very cool. We talk about monsters. We talk about real-life, fake-like, about the writing process, about filmmaking, and many other things. Uh, We do about the first hour with her, and then uh, myself and Sophia segue into some open tabs, discussions of things that happened over the last couple of weeks, and then some horrible advice or semi horrible advice during Non Namis Way. So, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, have a great month of October. If you're listening on Spotify or Samsung or iTunes or Listen Notes, Pandora, anywhere you're getting this podcast, please leave us a rating if possible. It helps us out tremendously. Um, you can always catch our streams live. Usually Thursdays, next week, we'll, this week we'll be doing Wednesday live, um, but you know, if you're following us across social media, you'll see when we go live. Thank you for all your support, and as always, enjoy the pod. On
1: a Thursday, mi gente show, live and direct from the 2am Burrito Lounge in beautiful Southern California, mi gente show where we react to news and culture, from a latino latinx latin if you will point of view thank you for joining us today everybody make sure you leave a like if you see us scrolling by hit the like Mm -hmm. button hit a heart do something if you are on your desktop but you don't have time to participate just go ahead and leave one of those 30 tabs open just mute us (laughs) one of those empty tabs it helps out the algorithm hey sophia
2: hey what's up lou how you doing
1: you're doing Uh, ah hanging in there (laughs) hanging in there hanging around hanging around Mm -hmm um today's episode is titled um today's i don't know we don't really have a title for it we're talking we're getting a I little book to, Getting a little book to me today to start with before we get into all the news of the week mm-hmm. um which i know is something that you're into literature and books you know you know because you're a mm-hmm. bourgeois uh but um today this is somebody that i reached out to several weeks ago when i was looking for different uh guests for Hispanic Heritage Month, and just because, you know, we do want to continue to spotlight a different um, Latino, Hispanic, uh, Chicano-American, Mexican-American, uh, you know, all the different sub-variants of Latino culture, and um, came across her book, The, uh, the Monsters of, of Chavez Ravine, and if anybody is from LA, Dodgers fan, familiar with Southern California, you do sort of know the history of that area. How um, it was a you know working class Mexican American neighborhood, and uh, when the Dodgers moved from New York to Los Angeles, the city uh, began the process of em- eminent domain to try to kick people out of the area for redevelopment. And this story uh, takes place during that time period. And um so I figured we reached out to Deborah Castañeda, uh, the author. She said absolutely she'd love to come on. And she's got uh, she was a little worried, but we talked to her a little bit, calmed her down. Um so joining us today, uh, author Deborah Castañeda.
3: Hi, Yay. thank you, thank you for having me. You're welcome, thank you.
1: Thank you, thank you. Nice to you. be here. Ladies over here, so my eyelines a little bit better. Yeah, no, Deborah, <laughs> thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, on the show today. Um, my first question when I was even preparing the thumbnail was Do I use the Enya for Castañeda or did you guys drop it at some point? And then you told me that you don't really, you know, you didn't really speak a lot of Spanish and stuff like that. So I wondered was that like a family choice? Was that something that got dropped along the way or just a preference thing for you?
3: You know what? It got dropped along the way. Um, I checked some original birth certificates and uh, they didn't have them. Uh, I checked with some current Castañedas. They don't use it either. So At some point it got
1: dropped too much our pencils are already (laughs) out yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. too much too much for the end um tell us a little bit about um you know you're an author You, you you have several books under your belt now but um can you tell us when the passion for for writing began for storytelling was this more specifically because this affected your family directly or was this more directly because you had a passion for writing and telling stories that you began this process?
3: You know, a little bit of both. I wrote my uh, first story in fifth grade. And I wrote a, book, uh, a story called They Call It Murder, because, you know, in fifth grade, we're really experts on murder. You know, <laughs> and uh, and I always wanted to write books, but I ended up in news and ended up doing news writing. Um, I've uh, done um tv and radio uh news producing i did some reporting but my passion um was always to to write books but my schedule between you know a 24 7 job and kids and then aging parents that just didn't happen for me i'm always so impressed on twitter there's an incredible writing community and i see these young people who are in their 30s and 40s and juggling responsibilities and many responsibilities, and and they find the time, they carve out the time to write. They have an incredible passion and discipline. I could not do it, and perhaps at that age, I personally didn't have anything to say <laughs> or enough to say, um, but it was only when I was uh, finishing up work and thought I could uh, leave work uh, and re- retire a little bit early um, that I could devote myself full-time to writing, and at that time, I had an incredible passion for uh, telling the story of what happened to my mother and my grandmother and the entire extended family from Chavez Ravine uh, and decided that that was a story I wanted to tell. So I set about writing it. But, you know, there's some wonderful nonfiction accounts of what happened at Chavez Ravine. One of them is by Eric Nussbaum. Uh, It's a nonfiction account. It's wonderful. And I've read all the nonfiction accounts. And and if, if anybody out there really wants to find out, the the history and the timeline of what happened to those old three Mexican-American neighborhoods, mostly Mexican-American neighborhoods. I, I highly advise them to read those books, but I wanted to tell it through a fictional lens. And because I love horror, I wanted to, I added monsters to it. I wanted to give my characters agency and something to fight against. So where I pick up that story is two years after the initial eviction letters were sent out. They were sent out by the city of Los Angeles and the city of Los Angeles sent wanted to evict hundreds of Mexican American families and other families to make way for a low income project, housing project. It was this enormous project. My family, my grandfather, my uncles, they all owned their properties. They considered themselves tax paying American citizens. And my grandfather owned his home since 1926. Hell no, they did not want to leave those neighborhoods. They loved them. They decided that they would not be able to successfully fight the city. So they were among the first people to take the buyouts from the city of Los Angeles and leave. there were people who left. My family was very law-abiding. Any sort of idea of running in a run-in with the police or the the sheriffs would fill them with incredible anxiety. So they left. And they were, I I felt so bad for them later in life. It was so hard for them to talk about that decision. Um, I also think that there was a lot of shame uh, because the city, in order to get the people to live, to leave. And they declared the area a slum. And my, my, my family was very proud. You know, they had pretty nice homes. Uh, They had plumbing, indoor plumbing. Uh, They were neat. My, all my aunts were neat freaks. I mean, to have your home, your neighborhood, your beloved neighborhood called a slum was probably very embarrassing to them. I mean, this particular family. So, these families. So they left. And now, as my age, I understand what it is to suffer from generational trauma, because these people never got over it. So I wanted to tell the story, but I wanted to go at it a little bit sideways. And um, when I was reading about what it was like for the people who stayed behind, who were going to resist two years in 1952, there were only 200 thereabouts families left over the three neighborhoods of Chavez Ravine, which were Bishop Palo Verde and La Loma. And, you know, these are hilly areas with ravines and, it's, you know, backs up onto Elysian Park and coyotes. It was spooky. And I thought, what would it be like to be there two years in, watching all your neighbors go Uh you know, your holdout, like these are the toughest of the tough people. Well, what happens if I drop monsters into the mechs? Mm -hmm. And that's what I did with the story. I love it. I love
2: it. I I find it fascinating that you went at it through a spooky lens, because in your words, uh, you call yourself a chicken shit in real life. (laughs) (laughs) I am. So speak a little more about that. How did you get into horror? Um, You know
4: what? I'm
3: going to blame my grandma Chata for that. Okay, (laughs) Uh, So every weekend, my parents love to go dancing. So they dropped me off with my poor grandma, Chata, Friday night, and then they would pick me up Sunday. And she lived in Boyle Heights, right off of Whittier Boulevard. So, you know, I got the whole like Boyle Heights experience and I got to know her friends. One was a curandera. And my grandmother was the sweetest, most patient woman, but she also told the most terrifying stories. Like the Kukui, the, you know, uh, and the, somebody called the white lady. And I ended up writing a book called the night lady, the white lady. I didn't know who the white lady was. And then all kinds of other stories that I've never really even been able to track down, like where these stories came from. And so I spent a lot of time really scared. So I'm going to tell this one short story about what happened. They, um, I, I got so scared and so nervous with my grandmother's stories my mother's curandera friend said, oh, don't worry, I'm going to give you a little red string protection bracelet to protect you from the kukui and the monsters. Well, they just told me that the monsters existed, right? So I'm like, e- whatever. I go home and my mother goes, what's that on your wrist? And I said, oh, it's a protection bracelet for the, against the monsters. Well, my mother's a little bit more modern and she didn't like that. She's like, no she gets a scissors and she cuts the, sciz- you know, the protection bracelet off. Now oh, I am without protection with the monster. I so, it ever- so I had confirmation of the monsters and then the, the protection was ripped away. And so anyway, I grew up kind of a, a nervous person. And then my dad was a nervous guy. He was always yelling, cuidado, cuidado would make me fall um, get me so riled up and nervous. So I just grew up kind of a nervous person. I think that horror is a way for me to work through those fears. And also in news, you hear about so much death and destruction and awful things and freak accidents. It's also another way for me to, to work through, you know, that exposure to, to the dark side of news. Yeah, definitely a form of
2: exposure therapy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There is, there does seem to be, I don't know if it's a trend or a new sort of subgenre of taking these stories of marginalized people and putting real life demons and monsters into it to sort of really, I don't know if it's uh, hyper contextualized or just really emphasize that that what, that what some of these communities went through was very, very traumatic and very similar to horror. Was there um, was there a conscious effort as you started this project to sort of see that subgenre out there? Uh, did you do any research in it? Anything sort of to, to ground yourself in it, or, or or did you kind of go into this on by yourself?
3: I'm trying to remember exactly what the timeline was, but I went at this not really. Reading a lot in that subgenre. It was only later, after I had finished the book, that I became aware. So, for example, Lovecraft Country um, is an example. And then there was a uh, Penny Dreadful series uh, set. Did you see that one uh, set in Los Angeles? Instead of um, th- these were evictions that were caused by um, the freeways being built. And the decimation of a Mexican-American neighborhood, and that used the folklore of um, La Santa Muerte. So um, I am better aware of it now, but wasn't so aware of exactly what I was doing back then. It's just kind of how the story came out. My primary motivation for doing that is, you know, these we all know how that story of Chavez Ravine ended. And it's sad, and they were helpless against these um, you know, political forces. There was no way these people would, would win. But if I were to introduce some feisty characters, I can have them push back against something other than the politicians, but something that mirrored the politicians, which would be the monsters.
1: Did you ever consider like a like a ta- Tarantino alternate universe sort of sort of theory where he goes back and changes history how it actually happened, or did you always want to root the events in real life?
3: I really wanted to 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 root the events in real life. And what I have heard from readers is um, people who've read the book and who may not even like horror or particularly spooky stories but they saw that this was a fictional book and maybe saw it as more of an adventure story, Um, but they didn't know about the history of Chavez Ravine. So it's a way of reaching people and and showing them a little bit about what happened there and what it was like to live there and to to fight against these, these letters. And and for those who stayed, what that might have been like, and what some of the politics were involved, and in, what discussions were being had, um, many people did not know that there were three Mexican American communities before Dodger Stadium went up. So, yeah. as as an author, I, I'm you know that makes me really happy when when people reach out and, and say that.
4: Yeah. Sophia
2: um well i kind of um i kind of had a question about uh chavez Ravine now in the sense like uh are you aware if there are any if there were any reparations by the los angeles county or anything of the sort
3: no uh, no no. No. Mm-hmm. no no um the so the the city of los angeles which had evicted the people to build that low income project mm-hmm. um and they had said to the people hey you know uh you can live there in the apartments, but you'll have to, you know, uh, sign up and see if you can get in. And uh, you'll you first come, first serve, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then that fell apart. And it's a long, complicated story about why that deal fell apart. And then nothing was going on. So those people who remained were in limbo. The people who moved out we're probably looking at that. My family talked about that. What did we move out for? Like what's going on with the land later on the city did um, the deal with the Dodgers, but uh, no, there, there, as far as I know, there were, there've been no reparations. I will say this, that, you know, that's a very um, divided issue in the Latino community about the, the, the team, the Dodgers, etc. I can only speak for, my family, um, no one harbored a grudge against the Dodgers. My, they, they did not necessarily associate the Dodgers with, with their experience and leaving in 1950. Um, so they, and my mother was a Dodgers fan and she had a Dodgers cap and she would watch the Dodgers game games. Um, so there was no animosity there. I know that um, some families don't feel the same way but for the people who remained and fought to the very bitter end, where their experience is is closer in the timeline and more um, involved with the Dodgers coming in, they're going to have a very different feeling about it.
1: Definitely. You had your um, you had your own experiences, obviously, from your family, and did you also seek out um, members of those two hundred families? Um, either before or once the book was going to be released or?
3: Well, I did a lot of research um, before I wrote the book. And um, there's a wonderful, wonderful book. It's a little bit hard to get a hold of now. Um, It's by Don Normark. And um, it's this guy who uh, is a very young man, went into those old neighborhoods and took photographs and uh, documented life in these old neighborhoods. And he has, all these, you know, old interviews in there uh, from the 80s, and they're marvelous. And so just by reading um, their recollections combined with the stories that my family told, I was able to gather enough information combined with the research about the history um, to, to, to write my book. However, after I published my book and I began to advertise it and people began to read it, I began to hear from people who either lived in Chavez Ravine or who had family in Chavez Ravine. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot to say, not necessarily about the book, but they wanted to tell me about their experiences. Um, it was very meaningful when when people said, I know what what that, those places were like and you got the details right. That, that made me feel really good. But um, I even interviewed... A woman, uh, uh, one of the holdout families, at the very end, um, I said, Can I talk to you? She was only seven years old at the time. Uh, and I spent a lot of time with her on the phone. I said, Tell me your story. Um, I wrote something for uh, Latino LA, uh, an online publication. It was an interview with her on one of the anniversaries of uh, the final evictions that happened. Um, so, it, that's been a great joy to hear from people who live there. And they all, you know, they'll tell me, it's like, this is my family name and this is the street I lived on. And this is the neighborhood. And they'll go, did you, did your mom know my mom or did your, Oh, <laughs> and, and you know, so that has been marvelous. And so where I can, you know, I'll look stuff up and look up the streets and try and get some information, but I always want to find out. Where did you move? When you left, where did you move and what was your experience? Um, because people ended up, you know, you couldn't buy wherever you wanted to back then. So a lot of people had to buy in Boyle Heights or, you know, parts of uh, Pico Rivera or East, various parts of East Los Angeles because of the red line that was happening back then.
2: Yeah.
1: Sorry, I was having a little technical glitch here. Sorry, you guys can still hear me, right? yes yep.
0: okay yeah, got it. all
1: right guys uh deborah a lot of interesting stuff so far we are live with uh deborah castaneda or castaneda if we're going with no <laughs> if we're going with no anya sound uh live talking about her book the monsters of chavez ravine i can actually get it for free here with i got free audiobooks coming my Ooh. way so I, I got i can start my my free trial here um mm-hmm. Available on Amazon, obviously, and anywhere else. You can get it on paperback as well. Uh, she also wrote a few other books. Are, are they also available, uh, Deborah, as well?
3: They are. And there's another story set in uh, the Chavez Ravine universe that's called The Night Lady. Uh, mm-hmm. And that one actually takes place before 1952, which is Chavez Ravine, Monsters of Chavez Ravine, that was in 1950. Uh, and that's a crime supernatural story.
2: Ooh, so it's becoming kind of a whole
3: universe. <laughs> you know what people have referred to it that way and I am gonna do a sequel to the monsters of Review. yeah oh that's exciting
1: um in doing our research one of one of the things that I came across is some booktubers that were doing reviews of your books and uh, one of the things and they mentioned here is the character of Trini the uh, your lead mm-hmm. uh, can you can you go a little bit into what makes that character unique is it is it? the cliche of uh, of big pieces of yourself or, or where did you draw the inspiration for the main character for this? Oh,
3: she's so not myself. She's who I'd want, who I'd want, who I'd want to be, but um, she's 22 and she's feisty and she's like a little bit of a again. rebel. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, she, she's done. She didn't want anything to do with those evictions. The letter comes, there's a lot of drama. She goes, takes a job, you know, in, in Boyle Heights. Uh, at a supermarket and she, and, but her father is having some issues and she is roped back into going home. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, and as soon as she does, uh, things get spooky.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I love that. Things gets, things gets
3: cliffhanger.
1: (laughs) You're going to have to go get the book. If you want to know what kind of spookiness entails, (laughs) Or you're gonna have to wait for uh the two AM burrito. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put in an offer here for the movie rights at some point. You know. <laughs> yeah or if Deborah feel, you know, or maybe although I, you you had me at your uh what what you told me, uh you had told us about your other work. Uh, it's uh the number one new release in Western horror on Amazon. That's uh that's a that's like uh that's like that's like a new subgenre since Nope, right? A uh, Western horror. As maybe, well.
3: maybe. So it's it's the root witch. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh it's it's western in the sense that you know it's about land and it's a it it now this is takes place in the real forest in the Rocky Mountain West in Utah, where I worked for four years, and it today they call it Pando, but um when story takes place in 1986, it was just known as a quaking Aspen forest and it's a clone forest. So all the trees are genetically identical male and it's a single massive root system. So all the trees are basically the same tree. They're all clones of each other. And Mm. I thought that was really creepy. So I decided to introduce something spooky in the forest and so it's Western in the sense that it has to do with you know land management practices, uh, how the forest has been overgrazed and, and uh, bro- over browsed by the browsers, the cows, the elk, the deer, um, they're running amok. And um, this thing that's in the forest, but it's told through two timelines. It's a new ranger that's a, a assigned to this vast territory in Utah. And then a news producer who's in a newsroom in Salt Lake City, which is where I started off my career. And she uh, sends a crew at one point in time uh, to cover uh, the urban legend of the Root Witch because there's some sightings of the Root Witch. And then all hell breaks loose on Halloween. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm so excited. I need to read this now.
1: <laughs> and I would just say we have we have Sofia, which is who is a Mexican-American actress, you know? Yeah. So yeah, then there we go. And then yeah. We got, and I think then then
3: 22, I think. Anna. No, actually, you were a perfect fit for Sandra Molina. Wow to tell mm-hmm. oh my gosh! Yes.
2: okay so so rights to the film are we <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go
1: it's gonna be a collaborative thing here have you, know? you
2: ever put, uh, given thoughts to like your books ever becoming a film
3: you know what i think that's every author's dream right, right? <laughs> but it's um so I, I think that a series would be fantastic there's so many wonderful series there's so many wonderful latino actors that are out there and some of them are untapped or employed enough but to see them Uh, I do I am working with a production company in Los Angeles on one of my short stories um, to bring that uh, uh, as a short film so and that story is called The Bride of Bishop and I'm working with a really wonderful producer and we'll see where that goes Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like I said, yeah, you got it. You,
1: you got an actress, you got a director here. There you go. <laughs> there there
3: you,
4: go. you go.
1: When it one it, one it'll be a good problem to have when you're like, We need we need a director, but we really want somebody who understands the Latino experience and we want to mix hey, we're right here. We're all over the place. <laughs> um one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is in some of the notes that you gave us, you 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 pointed out to the fact that you didn't really you didn't you were not allowed to speak Spanish growing up. True, uh, and um, and that sort of made me think about my life growing up, which was I think I was lucky because when I moved back and forth before between the United States and Colombia and Uruguay and Minnesota, you know back and forth, and whenever I was in South America, my mom would only speak to me in English because she knew that I was on that I, in school and with all my friends I was only going to be speaking Spanish, mm-hmm. and then the opposite when we were living in the United States, she only responded or let us speak in spanish in the house so i could have broken my arm and i would be like mama and she's like hey and my armo <laughs> you know, like, and she, you know what I mean? like what's the what's the word you know mm-hmm. um so that was it, it seemed a little bit odd but then um and then we always talk on this show about like what latinidad means to us um so can you expand a little bit about that of how that experience sort of shapes the framework of you sort of you know, expanding on what it means to, to, to be a Latina and, and, and how that, how that sort of shaped you growing up?
3: Well, it was a little confusing, um, because I am the only one in all of my extended family who does not speak Spanish. Everyone's fluent, but my dad, so I was only, I was an only child, my dad was an only child and, um my dad had such a bad experience in the elementary schools in Los Angeles. He was, he was a dark-skinned man. And I think this was common practice that children are not allowed to speak Spanish in school. And if they did, they would get hit with a ruler. And I, so my dad was pretty traumatized from that. And because of his dark skin, he wasn't allowed to, you know, and being a Mexican man in Los Angeles, he wasn't allowed, and and the to- the day, he wasn't allowed to uh, go to any movie theater he wanted. He couldn't go to certain clubs that he wanted to go to. And so he led, you know, very segregated life as he got older, you know, he could not, he, he associated that with some pretty bad experiences and he didn't want that for me. So I think he was of that generation where it's like, I'm an American. I'm not, and he would pretend not to speak Spanish, uh, and so when the other family members would speak to me in Spanish, goes, no, 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 you, you talk to her in English. And so I kind of feel like there was almost like a lock on my tongue. Cause if I would try and speak, you know, my dad would do this. So um, my dad was a nice guy. I think he wanted the best for me, but in my head, Spanish was associated with, you know, my dad getting a little bit annoyed with me and this, my dad was a very nice man. So that was hard growing up, but I heard them speaking Spanish. I just wasn't invited to converse and it always felt really awkward to me to speak Spanish. Um, Mm -hmm. so, but culturally I am, I mean very Mexican, very Mexican family on, you know, both sides, my, my mother and, and, and my father and my grandmother, Chata, spoke Spanish to all of her friends, but they did, they didn't speak it to me. So, it was a very, I think, very particular, very unique experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and then I went into the working world. And then, like, I, I felt like I was sort of disassociated from the culture because I worked in places like Salt Lake City and then, you know, parts of uh, Texas and Chicago and Portland. But it was when I came back to Los, Los Angeles and sort of was reconnecting with family, um, you know, I, I'm very culturally Mexican. Uh, but the funny thing is, is it, you know, how, th- that whole, like, how Mexican are you thing sometimes comes up. And, you know, when my hair was darker, I had dark hair like like you, and then it went silver. And, but people were like, are you, are you really Mexican? I'm like, no, really, I'm Mexican. <laughs> I worked at a, I was, was a news director at a Telemundo station. I remember the, 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 Reporters are like, how are you, how are you going to be like the news director? You're not even a real Mexican. I'm like, ah, oh, so ow. I said, here, <laughs> give me a chancla. Let me show you how Mexican <laughs> I am. <laughs> so I had to uh, bribe them with a burritos from El Chirito and Salinas. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, I know, I know the way that your heart, okay. uh, but you know, after it's a while, it came. <laughs> yeah. uh, so um, anyway, um, I, we we worked through the issues and, and it was great and even though i wasn't able to like go through their scripts they would like okay you translate it for me and we're gonna go through it together and and i would approve scripts in this like you know extra step way but but, but we got it done we got it done oh
1: well Sorry, sounds like a great time since you're talking burritos to talk about <laughs> oh our gosh. sponsor
2: oh my gosh
1: which is uh la original casa del taco if yes. you're in San Diego and you want that original Mexican cuisine, mm-hmm. go to La Original Casa del Taco. You can go follow them on Instagram at La Original CDT Casa del Taco, and mm-hmm. you can see that they got food. <laughs> yes, Me-
3: yes, Mexican
1: food, and this is this is mm-hmm. this is your ad for your company, Sophia. So why don't you take it from there?
2: Yeah, well, it's La Cocina de Mexico. All of the um. The, ho- the history goes that all of the plates made there were from my abuelita's kitchen, you know. So she she is the one that holds the recipes, RIP, love you, abuelita. Um, but she was from Guadalajara, so that is where um, it is originated from. And the restaurant is in Sweetwater Road, National City. So, yeah, stop by, give us some love.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. Hey, I yeah, gotta- that's Good. Got to pay. I get. I get paid for in burritos for that ad. So yeah, <laughs> we, to,
2: we got you. We got you. We got, we got to, you. Know.
1: All right. Um, so again, we are live here uh, with uh, Deborah Castaneda, author of Monsters of Chavez Ravine, another horror book. She also has a history in um, news, which I wanted to touch on a little bit. Um, but want to remind you guys to make sure that if you are listening, you rate our podcast wherever it is that you find us, whether that's Samsung, iTunes, Spotify pandora google etc and if you are watching us live or we scroll by your screen go ahead and leave us uh, a like a comment i see them coming in the likes uh thank you we are in a more serious discussion than usual talking about books talking about horror talking about real life events Mm -hmm. that have been um that that have that and and then adding a real life horror and then adding a fictional horror on top of that so it's like a A horror sandwich. I love it. Uh, And then just want to make sure that you guys know what our social medias are. Um, moving right along here, Deborah. what, um, what is, are are you happy that you got out of the news world when you did seeing what like the vitriol is with news against the news organizations, how it's, how, how the industry has changed over the last 10, 15 years?
3: Um, it was time for, for me to, to move on. The industry has changed, um, fast and, and furious, but there's two things going on. There's for um, there's the construction that's take, taking place uh, uh, with local television news. Um, there isn't the revenue there that there used to be because there isn't the, there aren't the viewers, uh, the reporters and the producers and all the wonderful talented people who go to college to to do those jobs. There there aren't the salaries uh, there, and it's a very hard. These are very difficult, challenging jobs. Um, Some of the reporters that you see on your local television stations are, they're called MMJs. Um, And so they are uh, not only reporting, they're shooting their own material, they're editing their own material. Uh, They are typing their stories online and posting them online. And then they're doing live shots, but they're doing live shots without um, camera people. And so they're they're setting up their cameras and going live. And you've probably seen some instances of this of what what happens when it goes badly on the on, new, on the news. Yeah. So you know, it, these are very hard jobs uh, that people are doing. They're doing the job of three or four people um, from back in the day when I started. Uh, and then I've also worked in radio and in commercial radio, and that that's challenging also. Um
1: sorry, I got it, muted there for a second, but they're also edit, editing their own pieces as well sometimes, right?
3: Oh yeah. They're 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 you know they're doing it all. And so um, you know, I did it for a long time. I really enjoyed it. I love the mentoring part. I you know, this whole thing that you remember that whole thing that millennials don't work, work very hard and all that nonsense. I mean, I worked with younger people and many of them just straight out of college, and I never met those people. I always worked with the most wonderfully talented hard working people with great ethics. And I loved working with them. And that's the part of the job that I miss is, is, is working with those, those people. Um, But it's a hard business. And then not only is it a hard job, then you have something that didn't, we didn't have to contend with back in the day, which is, you know, people calling you fake news after you've just busted your rear end trying to tell a story fair and accurately and having to defend yourself and going out into the street and being met with hostility, you know, that, that's, it's very, that's very challenging. So I kind of feel like I'd been in it long enough and I was able to downsize and, uh, you know, leave the full-time job. And we did a little bit of traveling and then I live in a very small place. Uh, So I rent a small office and I lock myself in and I write, and I couldn't be happier.
4: Oh,
3: that's right. wonderful.
2: It seems like yeah. you're doing uh, what you love and where you're supposed to be. So that was yes. a good shift.
3: Yes. I was very fortunate to have done that. Yeah. yeah.
2: I want to know a little bit about your educational background because I know that you are a first generation um, college graduate, like myself. So could you tell me? So yeah, good for you as well. Where, where did you and go? a little
1: And she a master's. Don't a master's. <laughs> just not a the phone with you little <laughs> she's got a Don't master you that's yeah,
3: awesome she- i do not and congratulations
2: oh thank you so much Deborah. that's why um, i
1: feel i feel even stupider when i mansplain because i'm like she's <laughs> smarter than
0: me
3: <laughs> well like many first generations it was um difficult for for me uh but it all started in the eighth grade going into high school in that I went to an all-girls Catholic school that was run by nuns, and the nuns gave gave me an aptitude test, and they decided I was a big dummy, and so I, they had two tracks, the, you're going to be a secretary track, they called it the business track, but it's, you're going to be a secretary, and then they had the college prep, so when I graduated from high school, I knew how to type, I knew how to take shorthand, I... I could do basic accounting and they prepared me for a life as a secretary. I did not take one college prep course, but here's the sad thing you know, my dad had to leave school early. He did not, he didn't even finish high school. My mother was never very academic. They were thrilled that I was being prepared for what they considered a very good job mm-hmm. to be a secretary. There's no shame in that. It was only after I'd been secretary full-time for three years, where I worked for a law firm, the partner said to me, you need to go to college. And I'm like, I don't want to go to college. He goes, no, you need to go to college. And then they started explaining why I needed to go to college. And then he said, if you don't go to college, I'm going to fire you. I, I'm like, so he said, you need to go. Well, I couldn't go to college. I couldn't go to Cal State LA even. I had to spend three years work, working full-time and going to j- a junior college mm-hmm. to take all the courses I didn't get in high school. So mm-hmm. when I went to college, I was 23 years old.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then my mother was very upset because I'm an only child and I was going to go away to college, mm-hmm. 300 miles away, and – she was mad, so I got cut out. <laughs> she stopped talking to me.
2: What? Wait, what yes. college did you go to? What did you transfer after junior college?
3: Well, I went to Cal State Los Angeles for a while, and then uh, Berkeley. Um, yeah. and, but back then, people with an average grade point could get into that school.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so that, that was me. Today, I think you have to be a genius to get into yeah. those schools. Right. Um, But it helped that my boss was also connected at Berkeley. I am positive he pulled strings for me to get in, for which I was extremely grateful. But I was also uniquely unprepared to go to a university of that level Um, I, I feel like I didn't have, you know, just the, besides the financial support and the emotional support, it's like, you know, you don't have all the tools, you don't Mm -hmm. have the help and the boot, some of the bootstrapping. I think there's a lot more resources today for people, um, for first generation, but I have to say, I was also really embarrassed to be a first generation. Like it, to me, it wasn't like a proud thing. I was embarrassed Mm -hmm. because everybody, you know, their family, these were like, you know, white collar families and they had money and they went on vacations and they helped their kids. And here I was having to work full time at night and go to college during the day. I was kind of shamed,
0: to be honest.
3: So I think that everyone's college experience is so different. It was not a happy time. And so, you know, I'm so glad when I hear first generation people talking a little bit about what sounds to me like better experiences more supported experiences because
2: mm-hmm.
3: you never know what people are facing at home too the with with the pressures maybe that you know they feel guilty for leaving their families or they should be working to help their families
2: mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. It, it was a difficult experience for me. I, I went to junior college as well. And I feel like since I didn't have anybody to help me or to no one had paved the way before, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I made every mistake in the book you could possibly make with counselors and class, taking the wrong classes and all this stuff. Oh. Yeah. So it took me a while to transfer, but, you know, eventually got it done, which was good. And I was able to help my little brother and those who came after me. So it was good.
3: That's where that is wonderful. Mm-hmm that's, you know, you're, you're making, you're making it so much easier for other people in your family and you're giving back in the way that you can. Did you go to Fullerton? Is that? I did.
2: Yeah, I did. Go to Fullerton, so yeah. Sure. yeah.
3: Great school. Great school. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Yeah. I went to Fullerton yeah. for my undergrad and then Capella University for my
3: master's. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations. That's Thank awesome. Thank you.
2: Well, I had the, the only difference is my family was very supportive. So, um, I was just wondering what, how, how was, what was it like your mom cut you off? Like, did how did she forgive you eventually how's your relationship with her after the fact
3: yeah she didn't talk to me while i was in those three i took three and some years to to get through um she was that man she can hold a grudge i give her credit she 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 had a special unique ability to hold a grudge um she's sort of famous in the family for it but she was that mad but um later on she kind of softened up and um, she began to talk to me again, but the the, the shame is that she developed um, early onset Alzheimer's, and so we didn't really have that much time, mm. you know, uh, before this her, her disease developed. Mm-hmm. But not to be not to be a downer, but it is what no. it is,
1: right? Yeah. Uh, I was I was going to say I also went to several universities in the Northeast. I was selling weed. But I did, I did, I did get, a. I was getting on, on the, on the, on the Peter Pan bus and heading up to Cortland and then to Oneonta and then Syracuse to visit my friends. But I did feel like I got a good college experience as I went from Queens to upstate New York to sell marijuana. You You probably have
2: the funnest college experience out of the three of us.
1: I don't want to get, I don't want to get left out of the conversation about (laughs) school uh, with you learned ladies. Um, Uh, if if you if um do you do you like if you had gone full force into the secretary world do you do you you ever like look at that alternate universe where you just sort of just said all right whatever let me just do this it's like a a madman universe
3: oh you know what that would have been bad. I, I think I would have had a crisis at some yeah. point. I had—I w- I was still young enough where, you know, I used to get a paycheck. I lived at home. I did a lot of clubbing. I had cute clothes and cute shoes. I took myself to Hawaii. Nice. Um, but I think that, you know, if I gave it another couple of years, you know, it would have I would have gotten frustrated or bored. bored. Then I don't life. know what I would have done. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done if someone hadn't intervened in my life. And the idea of someone not intervening or threatening me, it's kind of terrifying.
2: Yeah. Do do you see yourself in that alternate universe ending up as the same writer or not at all?
3: I don't think so. I don't think it would have happened. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Because when I went to college, I'm like, so... The, the the what side of your brain has the math? That that brain that part, it's like yeah. there's not there's nothing it's, in that side. A lot of, right? There's
2: a lot of debate about the left brain and the right brain. Okay. And, yeah, whatever but,
3: part of the brain it doesn't exist. So um, I'm like, so when I got to school, it's like, oh, I have to take some classes. Oh, this this writing class, I like to write. Let me go do that. I'm like, oh, that's something I'm good at. And then it, I found out that you can actually get a job. Okay, journalism is not the place where you get rich. So actually the first job i had as a producer in tv news producer in salt lake city i was paid less than i were. i had i was getting paid as a secretary in los angeles and so i felt kind of stupid but after a couple of years you know you begin to make more and you're you're out of that little training ground and you're now you're a producer and you're and i loved my job i loved my job so i'm really glad that i did that
1: Absolutely, we are live talking with Debra Castaneda, author of *The Monsters of Chávez Ravine*, uh, available now. It's uh, what is um, what has what has the. Because I, I saw a lot of reaction to the to the book, a lot of accolades and, and stuff like that, reviews and stuff like that. How does that does uh, does that validate you? Does that help you feel like, for example, after the book comes out and you get all these people telling you how wonderful it is, or how they connected to it, or people reach out to you. Do you do you do you think that makes you a better writer or do you think you're the same writer from when you started the book and and it's just sort of a bonus of the process?
3: It's a bonus, but I am just so relieved that people didn't hate it that I'm limp. And I go through this every time I write a book. You work your hardest and then it's out there and it's left you and it's in the world. And, and before that first review comes back, you have no idea, you know, how people are going to react and it's absolutely terrifying. And so I'm just so relieved when people are like, it wasn't awful or shitty or, you know, whatever. <laughs> or they want their money back and they hate me. Um, and then you're like, oh, I, I'm not so bad. Oh, I'm actually probably an okay writer. But you're always trying to improve your craft. I'm always trying, like, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? What didn't work and how can I make this better? Oh, shoot, I could have done it this way, not that way. But then you write your next book and it's the same cycle over and over again. At least for me, like, I'm this could be the book that's going to bomb and people are not going to like it or it's going to get really bad reviews. So it's an anxiety provoking experience that I don't recommend for, it's not for the faint of heart, Mm -hmm. you know, but I have to say one thing that I do do to, that helps minimize the anxiety a little bit is um, there's something called beta readers. And so when I um, finish my draft um, and my husband looks at everything, he used to to be in TV and he's, he's a pretty harsh critic and he goes. Through everything and and calls out like you know plot holes inconsistencies etc. And when it's all done, I send the the draft to uh, early readers or they're called beta some call them beta readers, and they're just average readers. They're not developmental editors. They're real readers who who usually love the genre that you're in, and then they read it and then they're going to give you notes and. It's not guaranteed they're gonna love it and they're gonna like some things they're gonna hate some things. but they're so like, oh, they point out things that would never even occur to you. Like what? I didn't even think about it that way or something was confusing to them that you thought you would really explain. but when you go back and you look at it, you go, oh my God, I didn't do that job that what I thought I did. Um, I had some I had a couple beta readers for the first time say, Mm, I don't know how to tell you this, but your ending sucked. Um, <laughs> and it's like, it, it was anticlimactic. We loved the beginning, the middle, it was all working. And then it went, and I'm like, mm. and I knew it, I knew something was wrong, but with great gratitude. Oh my gosh. Thank you. You're right. Because I was actually afraid to go big with the ending long story. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you got to go big. Don't yeah. sh- shut out. Go big. So, I rewrote the whole ending. Um and it's a better book because of it. Um so I I'm, I'm very happy to to work. And then when I'm done, the book also goes to a professional editor. Yeah. And she goes through it with the fine tooth comb, but that's more like the gr- the grammatical and the, the copy editing. Um so it does does take a team.
2: Oh.
1: What is your, um, what is the commitment time-wise for you? Once you get an idea, it's in your head. You would say, okay, I'm going to write this, uh, from letting it run around in your head to writing some notes to finally sitting down. Are you a, uh, are you like, uh, are uh, are Martin? Do you still work on an old word processor, or are are you are you pen and paper? And and how long before you can turn something into your beta readers? Is it like. A year, 18 months, two years. Three months. Three months.
3: Whoa, that was well, straight, okay. straight to the point. <laughs> well, be because I worked in news is just the way I personally work. I I write like I have a gun to my head and like somebody's tied me to the chair. It's the only way that I can do it. Other people think that's madness or it's not fun, but I I work with an outline. I do a very detailed outline. And then I'm going to go lock myself in that, uh, my tiny office for eight hours a day, or I'm not coming out until I finish my word count for the day. So it could be 3,000 words or 4,000 words a day, but I'm not leaving until they're finished, mm-hmm. until I have a first draft. And um, that really keeps me rooted in the story and keeps me very present. I'm not very good about ba- bouncing back and forth. And so, you know, I block time. I'm, You know, you're not going to go anywhere this month. You're not going to have lunch with friends. You're not going to go to the gym during the middle of the day. And um, this is a process that works for me. And then when I'm done, I don't even set it aside and let it cool off. I immediately go back in and start. No fresh um, eyes, huh? No, no, I know. <laughs> wow. it, 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 and then I just keep on doing the rewrites um, because it, that's just my process. I know that other writers would think that was madness. Um to each their own. own. Yeah, to each their own. Yeah. We were we were talking to yeah. a,
1: a filmmaker the other day, and he was talking about at Ed, Ed, um, Edwin. How
2: many drafts?
1: Ed, like, and he was like, "Yeah, I shoot because I always tell filmmakers, don't don't shoot, don't shoot." don't shoot your never shoot your first draft don't shoot until you have a third or fourth draft of the script because you know and he's like no i shoot my second draft and i shoot with three cameras at the same time and and i and and i and the editors just have to put together the. Sh-. and i was just oh. like man you're 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 making the movie like an assembly line i was like man that's that's kind of like not the way i do it um and then the other thing that you mentioned which is like for example this is my station, but this is, I work from home. So I also work from here. I edit from here. I write from here. I stream from here. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if, if, if separating yourself from your home area is probably a good idea. If you were going to sort of force yourself to, you know, to, to, to do the gun to your head, you know, I'd have to probably have to set up some sort of elaborate contraption to where, like, <laughs> if I try to walk outside or light a blunt before I got X amount of pages done, it would be like, ah, <laughs> back to work, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of think it, that's that, that's super interesting. Don't you agree, Sophia?
2: Mm-hmm. No, yeah, definitely. And how many rewrites do you do, like, approximately? Or is, does that vary based on the book?
3: Um, I usually do. Not Because it's so, I work out so many of the details and issues and problems in the outline that, um, you know, it doesn't really stray too far from the first draft, but I'm just like refining, refining the language, getting things tighter, cutting, 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 refining. And then, you know, occasionally I'll like, "Mm, this needs a scene. Or something that I can drop some scenes in where necessary for flow. But the one thing that I found invaluable, it's like, no matter how many times I go over the story at the very end, there's going to be a typo. There's going to be five typos. The I, you know, and I hire someone and we both are, but I have found one way to, your I is expecting to see something, you can kind of gloss over your own little boo-boos, but now I do Microsoft read aloud, so I actually will listen Uh to the narrator on Microsoft read the whole thing back to me while I'm following along. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm still finding typos, but sometimes (laughs) just hearing it read aloud you can hear maybe the sentence was a little clunky or mm-hmm. that wasn't exactly what I intended. And you kind of change it on the fly, just sort of right before publication.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: okay. okay. Right, one last question for me, uh, Deborah. I don't know if Sophia has anything else. And then we have a cool little bracket bit. But I did mention that we did uh, do, We I did see some people that were talking about your book online. Uh, and then I just wanted to ask you what does it mean to you to see like, like Latino youth, like a Latina on there talking about you as an author, talking about what the story means to to her, how she relates to it, and and how does do you, do you feel like any any pressure, any any pride in trying to to make something like that, and and to put more more uh, more culture, more books, uh, more things to consume for like the Latino community, you know, as it pertains to like. The story and stuff like that. You
3: know, um, so the Monster of Chavez Ravine and the um, the uh, the Night Lady are, you know, rooted in this culture, and um, I'm trying to portray it as accurately as I can. And so it's incredible when uh, you know Latinas will read it, and and it feels um, accurate and um, comfortable to them. And they can see themselves or their friends or their family. Um, That's extremely gratifying. There aren't enough Latinos. These are, but these also are stories about, you know, the Latino culture and, and very particular experiences. My other horror books um, just have, you know, Latino as Latinas as main characters kicking ass um, and kind of just being you know, and a little bit of culture, but you know, we get to—it's—it's it's a slightly different a, a, approach. Um, I'm trying, kind of trying to do it all, um, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's very gratifying. It's also gratifying to know that I got something right, um, that that it felt accurate to them, and it felt like it represented them.
1: Four four and a half stars out mm-hmm. of 129 ratings Aye. available. Uh, <laughs> eight eight ninety five on paperback. Um, and, 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 um, and I, I mean, I didn't get a chance to, to read it. Um, but I did, uh, read up a lot about the press about it and, and saw some reviews and, 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 and talk to you a little about, it. so, so I really feel that it's, uh, it's awesome that, that you're putting it out there as your work. I, I hope more people read it. Um, and I hope, uh, that you continue the series and that you, uh, get multiple multiple movies out of it and that <laughs> yes. I, and that i can i get to direct like part three of one of them you know you know something like that you know we're we're here uh so i do appreciate you that you take the that you took the time to come on the show today uh sophia do you have any other qu- uh so so thank you very much deborah yeah. i want to make it that out of the way well
3: thank you and it was really great to talk to both to both of you thank, thank you for you. having me
1: you're we doing do have,
2: amazing work
1: thank you so much thank we got, you thank we you. got we got one more thing that we're gonna do before we let you go though oh, all, right, all right okay all right and this will, we'll, we'll try to make it quick but we do we do uh do this with all of our guests uh yes. and it is something that we or i like <laughs> like to call wait sorry that's uh let me see. Let me. Change. Oh, I changed the logos, so it makes me. Do should this I?
3: Way. Should I have prepared? Should I have done homework? No. No.
1: No. no there's there's no way to prepare for this. Oh no God. No. Okay. okay. This is something that let me. I have to find the the button for it. Lou, the, the
2: suspense. The, You're getting her nervous. It's it's <laughs> called co- it's, co-
1: it's called a bracket bit. <laughs> All right, boys you know what that sound is. It's Time for bracket bit.
4: Bracket
1: All right, Deborah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. The Bracket Bit is created to cause maximum pain. You are a horror writer although not a horrible writer, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Better than being a horrible writer, right? And uh, you said that you are inspired by spooky things even though you're scared shitless of them. So today we're going to do a bracket bit where you tell me which of these two movies move on and we are going to be doing... A monster mash. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give you two monster movies or monster-like movies, and you tell me which of them moves on to the next round. Um, and your methodology could be whatever you want. Which of the two monster monsters you relate with the most? Which one you think is scariest? Um, what movie influenced you the most? Et cetera, et cetera. We just ask that you maintain the same methodology through the entire bracket. Are you ready?
3: Okay. All right.
1: Yeah. All right. And away we go. We got The Thing or... Chud, which is about horse-human hybrids living underground in L.A. And The what? Thing is obviously a classic. The Thing. The Thing. Yeah. Young Frankenstein or regular Frankenstein?
3: Hmm. Oh, Young Frankenstein.
1: Young Frankenstein. Uh, Shin Godzilla or Gogeta? Not a Godzilla fan. Not a Godzilla <laughs> fan.
3: No. Mm-mm can i skip that, right. Let's yeah, skip, we can ahead. skip
1: that one yeah we can put right. uh okay. alien alien or king kong oh alien all right one. uh pacific rim or cloverfield
3: oh found footage cloverfield
1: you mm-hmm. like you you're, you're a found footage fan oh yes okay <laughs> interesting interesting uh leprechaun or monster squad leprechaun leprechaun predator leprechaun. or plan nine from outer space Predator. Predator. A Quiet Place or Little Shop of Horrors?
3: Quiet Place. Yeah.
1: The Shape of Water, where she has sex with a fish, or <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein?
3: Oh, Shape of Water.
1: Shape of Water. The mm-hmm. Host, Korean uh, monster movie from the 90s, or The Fly?
3: Oh, the Korean monster movie. The Host. Like
1: the Host? Yeah, a good Oh, one.
3: God, i watched it. Like, yeah, I own it.
1: <laughs> it's, okay. a, it's, it's a great movie. Uh, Jaws or creature from the Black Lagoon? Jaws. Mm-hmm. The Wolfman or the Descent? The Descent. Tremors or Swamp Thing? Oh, Tremors. Tremors. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the Mummy or the Blob.
3: The Mummy. Yeah. The mummy. All
1: yeah. Right. Yeah. Deborah moving right along with this. Mothra or Gremlins? Gremlins. An American werewolf in Paris or Jurassic Park?
3: In Paris or London?
1: Um, sorry, London.
3: <laughs> uh, werewolf.
1: Werewolf, sorry.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Werewolf or gremlins?
3: A werewolf or gremlins? Werewolf.
1: werewolf. Gremlins does have that great scene where they're talking about how her dad got stuck down the chimney during Christmas. That was such a cold, cold story to tell in a movie. Love uh, Griffin
3: done in that, yeah.
1: Uh, tremors or the mummy? Tremors. Kevin Bacon Ooh. moves on. Mm-hmm. The Descent or Jaws?
3: I'm going to go with the, de- the Descent.
1: Mm-hmm. Is Jaws a horror movie?
3: Technically, ish. Yeah. yeah. Ish. ish. It's ish. horrifying ish. Yeah.
1: The Host or the Shape of Water? Oh, uh, the Host. The Host. Mm-hmm. Predator or a Quiet Place? Mm. I'll go with a Quiet Place. How do you feel about the rules that that horror movies like that set for themselves like the do you do because you, i mean some some people would say that a quiet place sort of it, it sets it sets up this world and then it just brings all these ridiculous elements into it to sort of justify that universe do you think it's just fun or do you you can get nitpicky with stuff like that
3: uh, you know what i think sometimes people overthink things i i i i'm a rules person that kind of makes sense yeah
1: okay cool That's fine. uh cloverfield yeah. or leprechaun uh cloverfield uh, Godzilla. You said you don't like, but Alien.
3: Oh, Alien. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, The Thing or Young Frankenstein?
3: Um,
1: oddly, Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. A little comedic element added to oh, your yeah. yeah. horror. Yeah. Uh, we like we like comedy mixed with everything. So so that's yes. good for us. Mm-hmm, Young yeah. Fr- Young Frankenstein or Alien? Oh, Ooh. sorry, Alien. Yeah. Alien.
3: yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Cloverfield or a quiet place?
3: Uh, Cloverfield. None.
1: And the host or the descent? The host. Tremors or an American werewolf?
3: Tremors or um, American werewolf.
1: The bracket bit is created. Yeah. To cause maximum yeah. pain. All right. That yeah. gives us a final four. Um, final four. All host, right. The host or American werewolf. The host. And this would be a good crossover movie: Alien versus Cloverfield.
3: Okay, I'm going to have to go with Alien.
1: All right, so Alien, Alien more important than uh, the found footage. Genre. Uh,
3: it was one of the first I, I saw that movie in the theater when it came out, and it just, yeah, That's it good, scared
1: yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we and uh, this would Ooh. make this would make an interesting fight of the monster fight, the 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 uh-huh. the, the monsters from Alien, the yeah facehuggers versus the giant ass uh, water snake. that was a good one it's a great it's a great movie
3: it's a fabulous movie yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, alien
1: it's one of of my early introduction to korean cinema one of my favorite you know it was just like damn these people really make really cool monster movies that turned out to be about the characters
3: oh i know i love i love those actors in there um troll hunter isn't on here
1: oh okay that's that was my next question i always (laughs) i always i always ask at the end what was the biggest omission or movie that you thought you were going to see but you didn't
3: Uh, the Norwegian monster movie called Troll Hunter. That's also found found footage.
1: You like Oh, the
3: found- oh it's, so good. it's so good.
1: When uh when it when it premieres in in LA, I'm gonna let you know because a friend of mine uh, that we had on a, a different show recently did a, a brand new found footage movie called Everyone Dies by the End. <laughs> uh, and I, I, it's a, a, a director a friend of mine called um, uh, Ian Tripp and it's it, it's in some film festivals in the UK now so if it comes to LA I'll let you know because it is Please it is do That sounds yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah I'll send you the link to the to the episode where I had him on the show as well so oh, okay great um, well Deborah, thank you very much for joining us today the book is called the monsters of Chavez Ravine it's available everywhere she also has many other books look out for her um, and uh, hopefully, we'll see more of her uh, and her mm-hmm. film and her books being converted to film uh, moving forward. <laughs> yeah, thank you.
3: Thank you for having you, Deborah. me. Of course, thank, thank you for being with us. Have a good night.
1: All right, you, you have a good evening. Thanks for joining us. All right. Oh,
2: I love her. She's amazing.
1: She did a good job. She's yeah, good. She's, she's good. Yeah.
2: Goes on and buys all of her books. Yeah, why not?
1: <laughs> I mean, I can get one of them for free right now. I think I can
2: as well.
1: I might have to listen to this. The Monsters of Chavez Ravine. Yes. Anyway, here we are. How
2: how, uh, well aware were you about Chavez Ravine and its history before the segment?
1: Let me see. Uh, Thanks for stopping by.
2: Yeah, Daisy.
1: um, I was familiar with it just mostly I think I became aware of it through being a baseball fan um just sort of being aware of that that had happened um and then but but really it's something that doesn't really get talked a lot about i'm assuming because it's not like a great look for you know the dodgers to be like yes this great stadium that we have uh you know we we had to evict 200 mexican families forcefully yeah we pulled over their
2: homes and plus plus the
1: entire plus the entirety of it in the 50s it doesn't it's not really like a great look for Mm-hmm. for los angeles or the dodgers in general
2: yeah.
1: all right well we skipped personal lose because we had a guest anything going on relevant to you miss uh, Ms.?
2: uh so, oh gosh okay well my best friend is getting married not tomorrow saturday but tomorrow's the rehearsal dinner so got a lot of wedding stuff this weekend i'm a bridesmaid
1: Are you, you're the bri- a bridesmaid
2: mm-hmm. a bridesmaid
1: not, not one of the
2: well there's one of what <laughs> like a maid of honor no
1: no yeah yeah that's what i was i mean, i guess without saying no. maid of, say maid no. of honor without saying maid of honor
2: no no no. but a lot of responsibilities i'm telling you
1: yeah that it seems like a like a whole thing as people yeah. would say
2: yeah it's a whole production honestly i'm like wow this feels like i was you know i feel like i was doing a film honestly <laughs>
1: Really? Like all the rehearsals. I mean you're yeah, talking about rehears- rehearsal dinner. We're talking
2: about rehearsals, planning, the producing aspect. I feel like I did a lot of uh, logistics. I feel like logistics stuff. Yeah. Like, <clears and throat> now the show is happening finally. It feels like it's like it's been a theater production and now we're finally doing, you know, co- our-
1: cast co- uh costuming, obviously. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> et yeah. cetera,
1: etc. Cetera,
2: yeah. etc. Yeah, that's pretty much it though. Honestly, not not much other than that. How about yourself?
1: personal news um personal news is that um i got my booster shot today nice um because you know i'm still fat and diabetic so figured it was a pretty good <laughs> idea to 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 try to prevent stuff and uh uh and i want to get 5g i want i want better kind con- of connectivity when i when i go outside sometimes i mm-hmm. get dead zones and i need to connect better so i need the nanobots Yeah. Uh, to enhance my my 5G capabilities. Inject me, yeah. All right. All right, I have narrowed down our tabs as we've been walking, as we've been watching. We're going to try to get out of here by 10 o'clock, so let's get into it. All right. Uh, Okay. Um, The main story, I guess, that I wanted to cover is immigration, uh, the Martha's Vineyard story. I had a video Mm -hmm. here that sort of was... Uh, uh, quite literally almost heartbreaking. Um, So um, just wanted to play this and then kind of react to see how we felt about it uh, ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: All right, give me a second. Sure.
4: They were lied to again and again. again. Accounts from the migrants who arrived last night make it clear that they were lied to again and again and fraudulently induced to board the planes. They were told there was a surprise present for them and that there would be jobs and housing awaiting for them when they arrived. This was obviously a sadistic lie. Not only did those responsible for this stunt know that there was no housing and no employment awaiting the migrants, they also very intentionally chose not to call ahead to any single office authority on Martha's Vineyard so that even the most basic human needs arrangements could be made. Ensuring that no help awaited the migrants at all was the entire point. They were provided with a cartoonishly simple map of Martha's Vineyard in the United States and a brief brochure containing snippets from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts website and instructions to change their address with USCIS when they relocated. This is especially troubling, as anyone with even the most basic understanding of the immigration proceedings knows that USCIS was not the agency with whom the migrants would have to record their addresses and has nothing to do with their cases in any way. It is clear that this was an intentional attempt to ensure that these migrants were removed inessential when they failed to change their address with the proper agency. This was a purposeful derailment designed to prevent people from complying with federal immigration policies. This is problematic because the state should not be interfering with federal immigration policy. Before they boarded the planes, the migrants were processed by agents of the Department of Homeland Security who listed falsified addresses on the migrants' paperwork Agents apparently chose random homeless shelters all across the country, from Washington to Florida, to list the migrants' mailing addresses, even when told by the migrants that they have no address in the U.S. According to the paperwork provided to them, the migrants are required to check in with ICE office nearest to the fake address chosen for them by DHS or be permanently removed from the United States.
1: So they sent them to Martha's Vineyard. Right? They falsify Mm -hmm. their documentation. Okay. So the main thing, the main thing that as this story became got deeper and I learned more about it during the week, Mm -hmm. the main thing is that these weren't, they didn't just open up a gate, let 50 people um, at the border come in. Uh, These were people that were already here legally. And what Ron Uh DeSantis did is he had a coyote or a spotter, somebody on the ground in Texas looking for people that might be headed to Miami. So, even if you came in through Mexico, through Texas, if you're from Venezuela, which a lot of these people were that can seek legal um, shelter and asylum, you can come in through Texas, but you might ultimately (laughs) want to go to Florida because that's where the bigger Venezuelan population and some of your family might be. Mm -hmm. So, what they were doing is they were putting, they were saying, hey, you're going to get a job, you're going to get a bonus. Um, And then they would put down the address of a homeless shelter in, like, Sacramento. Right? In a sanctuary city. And then, basically, if they shipped them out on a Thursday, they, they would have to go to an appointment that Monday. And they would have to figure out a way to get from Martha's Vineyard to Sacramento. Oh, my God. So they were basically setting them up to be so that they wouldn't meet the requirements to continue their asylum process Wow so however big a piece of shit you felt before that these people were being they are triply
2: oh my more God. pieces
1: of shit okay they didn't t- they didn't get told where they were going the the, the human s- uh, social services on Martha's Vineyard did not get a heads up they did not get any information. And they just, they, for a political stunt, Florida took taxpayer money that they had gotten surplus COVID money because they didn't use none of that shit. Um, so they could go to Texas, ch- charter a jet to fly people that might be going to Florida from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. And they were going to do it again a couple of days ago. They were going to send them to Delaware to a small airport, excuse me, close to Joe Biden's house to uh dark brandon's house
2: they were gonna do it again
1: they were gonna do it again they they apparently think this this is this is so good this has been sickening and one of the saddest parts for me is seeing the type of people that cheer this shit on Mm -hmm. because because not a lot of communities have our back in this area like you know i saw i was i was like a lot of the people that we ride for that the latino community writes for were not necessarily backing us up a lot of them were like yeah you know and they're like illegals this and that all this other shit it's a hot button topic for myself so i i obviously uh look into it a little bit deeper but but yeah this is this is kind of some required to do.
4: check in as early as this coming monday all
1: Right, so they had to come back on monday they got sent to martha's vineyard it cannot
4: be clearer that this is an attempt to ensure that these people are ordered removed even as they try as hard as they can to comply with the instructions provided to them. There is no other reason to list as someone's mailing address a homeless shelter in Tacoma, Washington when they ship him to Massachusetts. It is sickeningly cruel, throwing obstacles in the way of people fleeing violence and oppression, some of whom walked through 10 countries in the hopes of finding safety. It is shameful and inhuman. Many of these victims were deprived of medical care despite clear existing injuries. These are human beings who were deprived of basic human rights. To the people who find themselves, these wonderful people who find themselves plane wrecked on our island, I have a message for all of them. You are not alone. We have your backs. We are proud to be here for you. And we've got you. If the intention we got of those you, immigrants. Country, yeah. this horrendous act was to create a crisis, you have failed. Their demeanor is kind, their demeanor is grateful, oh. and their demeanor is just that they want to be doing everything right. Their biggest concern today is that many of them have dates to appear in San Antonio Monday morning. Tacoma, Washington, Monday morning, Washington, D.C., Monday morning. You tell me how that's possible. We will be exploring all civil and criminal legal options to hold the perpetrators accountable and to prevent this injustice from repeating itself. We stand ready to take legal action to protect the people here today and all those similarly situated
2: yeah good good because they should be held accountable this is there is no fucking way this is legal this is inhumane so
1: it's literally it's literally human trafficking man. it's
2: human trafficking in the United States uh, using taxpayer money I don't understand how there no one has fucking been held account- accountable for this yet
1: I don't know they, they, like 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 the whole uh, the cruelty is the point thing I get it. I understand, but uh, but it's, it, oh, man, it's just like, man, how can you fuck everything else? How can you just look at humans going through that and laugh at it and then be like, ha ha, hope you get a Hope look, Drop them off on Kamala uh, Kamala Harris's lawn.
2: Let her deal with it. It's disgusting. Like the attitude of just like, in the libs, like these are humans. These are fucking people. Ah, It's Beyond the theory, I'm fucking angry.
1: Yeah, thousands of people that are searching for a place to live. Oh,
2: and they're trying to do everything right.
1: And yeah, these are the ones allegedly that are doing the doing it the right way. They're asking for asylum from a communist country. I yeah. thought you guys all hated communism.
2: Yeah. And I thought it was all about well, we don't hate, we don't hate all the illegals. Just do it, do it the right way. Do it, do it right legally. Way, okay. Do it the right way. Well, this then is, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah,
1: these are people trying to do it the right way, I and mean, you try to blame. And you know, like honestly, there, 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 it's a lot of, a lot of people getting fucked over here. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so, so fuck anybody that, you know what, anybody doing that should go and make themselves some NyQuil chicken. If if really that's what you want to be doing here, uh is yeah. is, is you, you should go and cook yourself some chicken and NyQuil. Oh.
0: that's that's the
1: hot trend on TikTok. Did you know that?
2: No. Also, ill. wait, why? It's oh to like get you to sleep, it makes you tired? I don't get it.
1: No, there's literally um, the FDA had to uh, warn TikTokers. Who are jumping on the latest craze to beware because Nyquil marinated chicken is a dangerous thing. So I guess dumb people being dumb, yeah, being dumb. um, They're they're literally there's a challenge where you cook your chicken in Nyquil.
2: That's uh, that's also extremely expensive. Like that's two bottles of Nyquil in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm just saying. I'm just saying you're gonna be stupid do it like cheaply like
1: well no it's not like <laughs> they actually use the good stuff like if they were cooking it in promethazine that would be like oh hell no that's yeah. that's the good stuff what's that like nine bottles a bottle for like well that's 19 for for chicken and yeah. do you use that's the true. do you use the nighttime or do you use the
2: a- exactly that's what i mean i'm like are you trying to get drowsy
0: non-drowsy Is it what the we daytime
1: doing? i don't know what yeah. it's about but apparently um because some people didn't figure out it's not just the fact that you're eating chicken laced with NyQuil. It's that while you're cooking it, there's a lot of those fumes from these heavy drugs that are going to get into your system that could cause you to, I don't know, die.
2: What the fuck? I and mean, Why is this a trend?
1: Because people are stupid.
2: Okay, cool. Well, I'll go on TikTok shortly after this and see what the fuck is going
1: on. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's it's it's uh hopefully I mean look hope I, I I I'd like to have more faith in humanity than that, but we shall see. We shall okay. see. We shall see.
2: Talking to the people that were doing the pod the pod the Tide Pod Challenge.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, this is uh, a generation that was like, "What if we eat these little tasty pods?" Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm megan markle got shit for crying um
2: yeah i heard about that
1: so apparently i mean they they hate her because she's black that's not there's no ifs, ands or buts about it they don't like her because she's black yeah Uh, so she shed a tear during the uh liz uh, by the way how did what did you think of my lizzie in hell opening
2: i loved it oh my god yeah yeah Okay.
1: Did I you, think we're gonna think?
2: get canceled, but. Yeah. What did you What did you think
1: of the? I, I just added a, a shitload of junk to the intro, as, yeah. as many like green screen stuff as I could, and then I put the chihuahua there that looked like it was singing. I know. Uh, I
2: was like, "Oh, Cora looks like
0: you." Anyway, yeah. It's very yeah, cool. That
1: was, was pretty. That pretty interesting. All right. If you're listening to the audio, go back and check our intro. It's just a fucking mishmash of shit. Um. So yeah, obviously they hate her because she's black, and. Mm. Uh, she sheds a tear, and then they put out this video where she's like, "You'll no,
4: make yourself so cry. Oh, I can do that so well. Oh my God, it's crazy. You're like Megan, one tear, left eye, go. Give
1: me three seconds." So basically, saying she's an actress. Ah, well, she was, bro.
2: Oh my God, she gosh.
1: was. She was fake crying. They she's not allowed
2: her. to. Yeah, she's not they allowed to her. grieve.
1: They hate her so much.
2: They do, and for they what?
1: So mad at her.
2: It's because people that are royalists just get like super threatened when any the idea of not having a monarchy comes along, and I feel like she she was black, she was divorced, she had so like she and American and just came and shook up the whole wasn't, system. And I be, mean,
1: wasn't Queen Elizabeth German though? Like, like how diluted is their royal line? Like they. Well, you know, yeah. Part of their bloodline is from Spain,
2: and but they're white and European, like it You know what you know what I mean. So anyway, um, and then you know Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and made themselves independent from the monarchy. So it, yeah, everyone just fucking hates her. But I'm like, the, okay, this whole process of the Queen dying has really like opened my eyes to how bonkers people are in the freaking in the UK. Like there was a 14 hour line to see her in a box. And it was even, it was a closed casket, so not even, to just see a box. (sighs) People are mourning this nine-year-old lady who passed away. How? How? (laughs)
1: 96. 96. She won. She won the game. She won the game. Let her go. Let her go. You got your uncle... Chuck now, that's your your new king.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's Thanks. with his fat with his fat sausage fingers. <laughs> um, okay. Uh Instagram model claims she had an affair with Maroon 5's Adam Levine. Are you up on this?
2: I am not. No, I saw it trending on Twitter, but then I didn't check it. I'm,
1: <laughs> uh, it yeah. so Summer Stroh, who has 350,000 Instagram followers, made the allegations in a TikTok uh she said i was having an affair with a man who's married to a victoria secret model at the time i was young naive uh and then she was like basically she felt exploited because she thought that she says she felt exploited because she thought that they were really separated and that it was just like an la celebrity thing where they were just keeping it low and she she says she felt manipulated and Uh
2: uh-huh Okay. Exploit. You're you're definitely not doing this for clout. Okay.
1: Naive. Naive. No, but I mean, does does she have a right to to say she was manipulated?
2: She does. I mean, everyone. Yeah, she has a right to say that because I wasn't there. I don't know what went on. He could have been very manipulative and she could have been naive. And so, yeah, definitely there's a right to do that. You know? But at the same time, if he's married. I don't know. You get a little less sympathy, I guess, to this naivete.
4: Look,
1: look the, um, the main thing I take from this is, is that it is true. The adage is true. No matter how hot the girl is, there's somebody out there that's just tired of fucking her. That's just like not. Because this guy's got a rock star life, family, married to a fucking Victoria's Secrets model, mm-hmm. and he's tr- and he's trolling for some strange on Instagram. Bar- in messaging chicks from his verified from his checkmark account.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Talking about your body's so fucking insane. Like oh there was a whole meme about how white people uh uh flirt. <laughs> Cause he was like, "Holy fuck, holy fuck, fuck! Your body's insane." Oh,
2: that's what happened. Yeah, I saw a meme with like a seal or something, and I was, yeah, like, was like, "I don't get yeah, it."
1: Because yeah, she yeah. yeah, sent him a picture, and he's like, "Oh my! God. That's all he said back. Your body's insane, or something." Yeah. Like that. And okay. so now they they made a bunch of memes. Um I Listen, I think that when you when you're in LA and you're an influencer and Adam Levine drops into your you you at that point you know what's going on. You I think yeah. that you're a little bit more aware what's happening than you would like to lead on. Um, mm. The thing was, I guess he was cheating on her for a while. This is the bad. This is the part. Look, he's a rock star. At some point, if you're a rock star, you got to have your fucking conversation with your wife and be like, look, I'm a rock star, baby. What do you want me to do? You know what I mean? But he was having an affair, got his Victoria's Secret's wife pregnant, and then let the chick know that he might try to get the kid named summer you do not name your child with your real wife after your side chick that is a bad look i don't know if you're just looking at your phone sophia or if you froze i feel like Sophia's frozen this is probably the part for my audio listeners where sophia And her shitty internet. There you go. Sophia and her shitty internet has been disconnected. We'll give her a moment here to see if we can reconnect. Let me write down this timestamp so that I can delete all this for our audio listeners until she comes back, and then we will try to wrap up these tabs and get out of your way. Everybody, everybody say 2 a.m. burrito. Testing, testing. Let's see if this test. Burrito clips. We'll cut all this out. Oh, 938. Okay. Like a 10-second delay on that. We will give Sophia a minute here to get back on. We are live. Burrito lounge. Is anybody out there? All right, this is uh, something I wanted to share on the stream. uh, There's a thread, and I'll put it in the comment section as well. If you are going to donate to any uh, organizations, there she goes, if you are going to donate to any organizations, we have a thread here of different types of organizations that are not directly, um, that are not, like, Red Cross or FEMA, which waste a lot of the stuff that gets sent to them. Um, So this is a list of um, places that you could donate where the money gets there directly. Um, Hurricane Disaster Relief, Taller Salud, um, Brigada Solidaria del Oeste, uh, La Fundación uh, Mochilando uh, in San Juan. Etc. Etc. The World Central Kitchen. So there's a lot of places that you can uh, donate directly uh, to help the people of Puerto Rico out. Um, I know Ed Edwin is going to do a screening of his film somewhere in San Diego. So we'll be promoting that when it does happen. uh, As the proceeds of that will be going out to different uh, organizations that are uh, helping the relief effort uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, as well i also want to shout out somebody that'll be on our show re- uh, soon um, and they have another thing happening in san diego they'll come out to talk about it it's the 15th annual san diego vision Walk, on the october 23rd uh, you can register a team or donate and basically all of this goes to um, help the organization it's about people that are you know the vision loss is not something that you are born with sometimes people lose their vision later on in life they have to prepare for it um, and, uh, they've already raised 39,000 and it is for that organization vision walk. Uh, one of my, a friend of mine, uh, Raquel, um, who's an artist will be coming on at some point over the next month before the event to tell us a little bit more about it. But for right now, check out San Diego vision walk. Um, we'll put a link as well in the comment section so that anybody can check in on it. Uh, can do that. Sophia, you're back.
2: Yeah, I'm back wi-fi problems
1: hey. we were talking a little
2: bit about puerto rico
1: yeah no i was uh i was just kind of uh, throwing some stuff out there that that i wanted to share uh, mm-hmm. obviously puerto rico is still underwater and without power um half of pakistan i believe it's underwater um i pushed this back to another tab but in iran women are protesting uh because of the morality police uh having to wear cover hair coverings people are burning their hair coverings cut, cutting their hair mm-hmm. and as of i think yesterday or this morning the government had shut down the internet in oh. iran yeah so they're there the people are afraid that there is some crazy ass shit happening um because they've tried to cut down the internet so that people can't communicate of course through other avenues, people are still getting messages out, but there's a lot of, there's a, there seems to be, you know, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Iran is having, there's flooding. The world is ending. Is this the,
2: this portion of the show?
1: We are in, we are in late stage. Yeah. It's about uh, 90 minutes in when I get morbid about the, about our, about the fact that we're running through this universe on a rock. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, hell, look,
2: that... there's the cute dog, though.
0: Hey,
1: cute dog. <laughs> my cute dog's been passed the fuck out on that corner.
2: I love how she's just in the corner.
1: The entire for show, the she's like, I listeners, I want some there's
2: time. a dog. Yeah, there's <clears throat> Lou's dog just passed out on his bed in the corner.
1: She's yeah, she's, just, she's been there the whole day. Yeah, she's oh, she's shy. there. All right, so like I said, you know, we uh, we're in late stage capitalism. The world is the world is simultaneously burning and being flooded. Yeah, we're hurling through space on a rock.
2: Um, if not by its uh, inhabitants by the fucking earth it's that we yeah. have ruined
1: yeah um yeah. you know also at some point something something had to come from nothing because why is there existence so and if you looked at us in the greater scheme of life we would be one speck on one grain of rice in an infinite field of rice so let's not take all this too seriously. No. Love each other. Spend time with the people that make you happy. Make some art. Try to contribute what you can. Plant some trees. Do some good in the world.
3: Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. All
1: right. All yes. right. Yeah, yeah. All right. I want to wrap this up because I want to leave 10, 15 minutes for an anonymous way. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this is a good follow on Twitter. Uh, this guy photoshops uh, Saul Goodman into films or TVs. I shared with you the guy that does it mm-hmm. for Paddington. There's a guy on Twitter that does it for Paddington Bear. He photoshops. Nice. Uh, um, so this is a good follow on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Big big put truck. Um, yeah, he does. He puts. There's Saul with uh, the Joker.
2: Nice, nice.
1: That's a that's a that's a good. Better call Saul. Oh, uh, I don't have the story pulled up, but Vince Gillian, uh, Vince Gilligan is because he's he was he was pitching a show post Better Call Saul like. Uh, but it was not going to be in the Better Call Saul Breaking Bad universe. He was tired of doing anti-heroes. So basically all the networks, Netflix, AMC, all of them lined up. He pitched them, and the winner was Apple TV. Oh. So the next Vince Gilligan show will be on Apple TV. They went straight to series, which means he doesn't even have to shoot a pilot, um, and he it's going to star Rhea, uh, Rhea Seahorn. Wait. Kim,
4: Kim Wexler.
2: Wexler. Got it. Okay, cool. Sorry, I'm bad with actor names. Yes, Kim Wexler. Thank you. <laughs> oh, shit. Yes. What? But that's on Apple TV. Damn it.
0: Yeah.
2: That's what I'm not going to get. Darn.
0: All right. Uh,
1: there's a trend of... Uh, of um, of uh, I've seen a couple of these videos. There's a trend of um, cartoonists doing this to people. name?
2: Oh my god!
1: That's
3: fucked
2: up. I don't like
1: that. Ah, oh, poor girl. I, I don't. I mean, she's got a good attitude about it. I mean, she, yeah. she, 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 she's she's cutie. I mean, you know what's wrong? wrong with her. Yeah. You know what's going on, yeah.
2: Lou? Why are you yeah. showing me this? That's fucked up.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, there's a trend of that. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. Are we getting more crueler as a as a society?
2: Maybe, maybe there's an overcorrection done being done. Maybe.
1: All right. Um, in uh, hellscape, for Republicans are um, uh, hypocrites. Hmm? This is uh, Ted Cruz.
2: Looks like Ben Shapiro's.
1: He does son look like Ben Shapiro's cousin, doesn't he?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, well, basically, this is uh, Ted Cruz on a show uh, talking about the ports of Plains, highways that will run from Laredo to North Dakota. This project brings jobs to Texas and millions of dollars to the state, a great bipartisan victory. So he's talking about uh, um, something that passed, et cetera, this and that, that that's going to be good for Texas. The problem is Senator Cruz voted against the bill and the White House, as always with the receipts these days.
2: Yes.
1: Quote tweets them. And says uh, Senator Cruz actually voted against this I love uh, this on top of the video. So that's more. Uh, there you go. ha. Uh-huh. I that's that that's today in dark brandon uh oh,
2: the white house is just on one right now damn i love the twitter i love yeah, the twitter white I, house
1: i think maybe the fact remember when they had all those influencers when biden first got there they're like why did they invite all the tiktokers and influencers to uh uh yeah, <laughs> all right lauren yeah, bobert doesn't do understand what the wanton killing is uh on stage that's pretty boring i mean she's insane you can can put a million different videos on her um this is something that apparently is a thing uh this is called uh phone booth boxing that's awesome
2: oh my god they're poor heads dude ow
1: ow. that doesn't seem like
2: For the listeners, there's two men fighting in a phone booth.
1: Yeah, this is it's a thing that's a literal thing called phone booth boxing where they put them in this big fucking plastic phone booth and they beat the fuck out of each other.
2: Oh my God. (laughs) Is it bad that I kind of love it?
1: No, you know what I've gotten into recently is sumo wrestling. Really? Yeah, I don't, not because, as my friends say, well, you could, you'd be good at it. Not because of that, not because of that fucking reason, but because. I thought it was just two fat guys that would just push at each other, but then I started watching some videos about techniques and stuff. And there's a lot of intricate shit that they go into, different kinds of mm-hmm. things that you do, techniques, uh moves that you're allowed to do but are frowned upon because it's not supposed to be, you know. Um, yeah. so there's a lot of that's a lot of interesting. So I got into it. So no, that's fine. That's interesting. I just I just I just find things. All right, we're gonna push back this uh uh, we'll push this back to next week, but um the the, the Warner Brothers Ezra Miller uh, apology tour has begun, where they're dropping articles and propaganda about him because they want to feel comfortable about um, releasing uh, it. Releasing the movie. Apparently, the reason mm-hmm. they want to release it is not only because it's The Flash, but only because it tested well or the movie apparently is really good. So they really, the where everybody was giving them the pressure of like, well, if you're canceling Batgirl, you should also cancel this. Well, not so much nope all right okay. all right and uh donald trump reacts now let's see oh that.
2: that was it i was i thought you were gonna pull something up so what does the apology tour entail like are they just what are they saying
1: well no there's just they're they're basically the pressure was on warner brothers are you going to cancel the flash after they canceled mm-hmm. batgirl after all the allegations of grooming after the child protective services got sent to his ranch in vermont or what have you there's been a lot of stuff uh that he met a girl at the uh, native american girl and uh, indigenous girl and then all of a sudden he met her when she was 15 and now she's living over there where he's 18 uh and uh a bunch of just weird stuff about him he kept getting he got into fights at bars he was getting in fights with police it's fucking up yeah And through all of this, Warner Brothers decides to shelve $90 million Batgirl movie and they stay quiet about this. So it's just interesting to see how they're trying to navigate making it okay for people to to watch the movie because they want to release it and have it to be a big blockbuster. You know? Yeah. Okay. So so basically just the articles coming out now are like, oh, you know, understanding Ezra Miller and, and stuff like that.
2: Oh, my God.
1: They're still kind of. slanted against them, but they're trying. I think they're trying. They're, they're putting in the work.
2: They're trying to sympath- make, it, make him a little more sympathetic, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, Makes sense. And then the only other big story that we had is uh, Trump gets sued in New York. AG mm-hmm. files a $250 million lawsuit against him and his family um, about overvaluing and undervaluing his businesses. And he went on Fox News. To, we'll save this, but he went on Fox News to basically say what we already saw, said he said. First, he said there was no documents. Then he said the documents were planted. Then he said, yes, there were documents were there, but I had every permission to use them. And now his defense is a president can declass... He literally said a, a president can declassify stuff in his head. He said... No, he didn't. There's he said no. there's, a, there's a process, but uh, I can... De- it, is, it is declassified. I, I, I have... Love it. What does he no, think he is? Like, no, the no, he, I don't he, know. He, he said, he said, he said it's the classic. It.
2: I'm he, not it's... surprised. Nothing this man does anymore surprises
3: me.
1: Nothing, nothing. Absolutely nothing.
3: There's all nothing.
1: right. And one more palette cleanser, and then we'll get on to No Way here. Mm-hmm. All right. This is the, this has been, all right. Tell me if you like this.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nice.
4: I
0: am a woman of God.
4: This is my right, as much as it is yours. This
0: is my land as much as it is yours. I did not sign up for this.
4: I am a Christian woman of God. And you are not going to put your disgusting rules on me that are false and not true I will not have it.
2: I love that. Yes. God. Did my Wi-Fi go out again? I'll spot it for now.
1: Cool. Am I the baddie here? Oh, wait, no, I'm live. Sophia. Sophia. Back. You're back? Sorry, okay. I'm
2: back. I connected to my hotspot. I, point. I, I was
1: I was back. lagging a minute. I didn't know who it was you or just me. Okay. That was an interesting. <laughs> no, was me. Was she, me. she gets she gets uh she gets distracted. She gets destroyed at the end. All right. I was so
2: hyped. I was like, I am a woman of God. <laughs>
1: oh, did you so see afraid. the end of it though?
2: No, I, I missed the ending. What happened then?
1: Oh, wait, hold on a second. We gotta finish the ending here.
2: I love TikTok. TikTok, they just, you know, they made an operatic version. It's beautiful. Yeah,
1: yeah. They, you know, they, they, it has its moments. I mean, it's one part, one part NyQuil chicken.
2: What? Yeah. <laughs> Other part, Karen's.
4: Being lied to, and it's not going to happen anymore. Do you understand? The CDC just
0: released. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh.
1: Bravo at rising underscore path.
4: Oh my gosh. I want to follow this man.
1: Oh my gosh. That
4: was
1: amazing. That was amazing. (laughs) Uh, All right. The fun continues next week. We have um, the founder of Border X, David Favela, on the show. The week after that, we got Paco Pablos, who is a world-renowned artist. coming on the show and uh, we might have some surprise appearances uh from other uh Latinos and are always looking for more to have come on the show Mi Gente Show live Thursday evenings and as always remember to like subscribe follow rate us if you are watching it yes, um yes. and thank you very much for everybody that has listened and has been a part of the show so far Coming in on a good time here. Coming in a good time. Yeah. One last thing. Now it's time for No Names no way. No Names way. No Makes me no so nam-es. happy
3: to
2: hear that. No Names. No
1: Names way. As far as Names. Don't. No.
2: <laughs> how many do we how many submissions do we have this evening? Uh,
1: This evening, I I saw three. Let me check to see if we have any more.
2: Um, Oh, oh. By the way, the chess one, I asked my brother if it was him, and he said no. So I am very intrigued to know who the hell it was.
1: I mean, who else likes chess? Well, I mean, it's it's one of the world's oldest games. What do you mean, who else likes chess? I mean, I like chess. I haven't played in a while, but I like it. Yeah, that's true. You're talking about. Chess players. Uh you're you're looking at the at the uh, at the Venn diagram of chess players in our audience?
2: Yeah, <laughs> our audience and chess players. I was trying to narrow it down. <laughs> Couldn't for the life of me.
1: All right. Uh first question comes to us from uh let me, oh, this is a long one. Okay. Oh geez. Uh <clears throat>
2: did you vet these?
1: <laughs> do I what do you mean vet?
2: <laughs> Did you read them beforehand or are we going to no, get into no, fisticuffs of someone?
1: I don't, I don't know. I don't read them ahead of time.
2: All right. We'll see.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, was I wrong for hooking up with my drunk coworker when I was sober? I mean, right off top, probably. But...
2: Oh
1: yeah.
2: Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I just got it. It took me a second, but I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> Pro- probably. probably, probably,
1: but let's, but we'll hear, we'll you, hear
2: out. you out. We'll hear you out. <laughs>
1: so here's the backstory we met a few years ago working at a mid-sized company we lived close by so we would sometimes carpool or wait out traffic by having a few beers or a smoke together after work this was pretty tame for a few years as we were both single but we were talking to multiple people over the first few years we knew each other once after a company party we were both wasted we took an uber back to my place where her car was Since we had gone to the party together, she came in to use the bathroom and have some water. But we decided that she was too drunk to drive. Even though it was a short distance, she was going to pass out on the couch. Since she was not going anywhere and my vacation started the next day, why not? We had some more drinks and busted out my bong. It got fuzzy after that. But I do remember that after a few drinks, we somehow kissed and we were about to go further until for some reason. I brought up the fact that we were both too drunk to consent, but that it canceled itself out. That's okay. a dumb, that's a dumb joke to make, but okay. okay. I, I remember feeling dumb about saying that. Well, duh. Uh, I was trying to be funny or trying to get drunk consent. She paused, thought about it. And then we slowed down. The mood died. We sort of sobered up and I staggered into my room and passed out. Um, waking up the next morning, not really knowing what was up after that. We didn't see each other for a whole while, avoided each other at work. And I volunteered for some odd shifts to avoid having to talk about it carpooling etc so for the next three to four months we were basically strangers fast forward to about a month ago we got put on a similar shift and her car had broken down so she asked if she could get a ride back with me to my place where she would take an uber from i thought it was odd told her i could just drop her off but she said she wanted to smoke a blunt with me and she couldn't at her house because of her neighbor's roommates Since she got off work a few hours before me, she waited for me at a close by bar. When I got off work, she was waiting by my car, a bit tipsy, Mm -hmm. but she had weed and more drinks, so we were off. Before we left, she kissed me in the car and said she had been thinking about me at the bar. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was sober, but I did smoke weed. One thing led to another, and we hooked up, and she spent the night. The next day, I was busy, and she was off to fix her car, so we sort of didn't talk about anything but she sort of ghosted me when I was reaching out to say, wow, that was crazy and fun. Last night, she sent me this long ass message saying I had taken advantage of her in a fragile state and that I should have known not to take it further than making out. I am confused and worried that she may bring this up at work or worse. And I don't think I did anything wrong, but I'm afraid to really dig deeper or write back because I don't want to make it worse. I basically just said I am sorry she felt that way, but that she was all over me, and she had she said she had been thinking about it while she was sober. So I don't know, should I try to talk to her and clear things up or stay away? Am I the baddie? Mm. That was, okay. That was a lot of backstory.
2: That got difficult, didn't it?
1: I got. I mean, are right we, off are, top, no, right off top. Okay, and let's and, and this is something I wanna add. I wanna kinda add a an intro to like no Namas Way where it's like we talk about how qualified you are and how unqualified I am. Um uh, <laughs> but but Sophia's actually has a master's degree you're actually I coming mean, at this from no, a place I, of knowledge and I'm coming at it from more like you know a place no, of No, like,
2: I mean it still doesn't make you know. me the and all be all talk good advice. No, but I do like
1: that it's a it's I do like that you bring that aspect to it to the okay. to the conversation. Um so first first thing it's like You asked, yeah, you should have, you you sort of buried the lead there. Um, If it was just, did I fuck up by hooking up with my drunk coworker while I was sober? Yes, for many reasons, HR, and just for consent reasons, of course. But you, she got off work before you, after all this other shit had happened. She had a couple of drinks. She kissed you right away when you got into the car. And she said she had been thinking about you at the bar.
2: Yeah, the context that, does make things a little dicey.
1: That is a lot of that's a lot of green lights. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of green lights. Now you weren't there when she started drinking. Like, did she journal it? Did she vlog? I'm super sober, and I'm thinking about my friend. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking I'm totally thinking that I'm going to bang him tonight. You know, like, like that's weird to really be able to go back and see, like, if. Like, can you give consent while you're sober for something that's going to happen to you when you're drunk? Like, can you say chloroform? Like, like that's the thing, right? Like, like, uh, like, um, like some people have that crazy ass fantasy of mm-hmm. getting like knocked out and then being,
2: yeah. like,
1: having people touch them and do stuff to them while they like, while they're passed out. It's like it's a literally
2: fetish. a kink, yeah. It's a fetish.
1: So, <clears throat> but you have to like write shit down for that, right? You have to give people, like, you know. So the fact that you worked together, the fact that you had the near miss incident, which why would you, okay, well, here's the first question. If he had, if they had hooked up the first time where they were both drunk, would that have been an issue?
2: No. Uh, But that, yeah, see, this is why I think it's such a like gray area topic because yeah, if both are drunk then it's technically no, no one's fault. Like the, 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 it it does cancel each other out. out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, why'd you say that? You were about to get laid and you were both drunk and high. You
1: were in the clear.
2: You're in the clear.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. Technicalities on your side.
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't know. I feel like, Hmm. As someone who drinks a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Hear hear me out. Um, I feel like from myself, from friends, from everybody, everybody gets into a lot of situations when you're drunk, you know. Not all do you, are that you, you you know, some of them you end up regretting is what I'm saying. And I have found that some people nowadays um, with the consent uh, conversation, you know, being more accepted and talked about, I have found that a lot of my girlfriends who before would maybe just be drunk, hook up with a guy and be like, oh my God, like I did this silly thing. Now maybe might react in a way of like, well, I was drunk. He should have known. And I was raped. Now, everything is valid. So I never want to invalidate like victims, you know, perspectives and stuff like that. But in a situation where he wasn't the one getting you drunk you did make some advances. I know I'm getting into the victim shaming territory, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. But I'm just saying that it's a little bit of a gray area, and I do kind of feel bad for this guy having, for what he feels, for feeling so guilty, feeling like he could have done something wrong, and not knowing how to go about it because this girl is now feeling um, violated. Right when that's when those weren't his intentions. I feel like intent sort of matters to a certain extent. Right. Um I don't know, and I don't know if I'm being too devil's advocate because, you know, some other person might be gung-ho, like, you raped her, you're an asshole. But, I don't know, something just makes me feel icky about using that word so loosely, um, especially when there was no malintent, um, especially when you're feeling guilty after the fact and you didn't, those weren't your intentions and flirting had been happening before, you guys had already made out, she told you that she liked you, essentially. To me, this is all very convoluted, and I don't think that there's anyone who's super at fault here and i don't know if that makes me a terrible person but i don't feel like like i don't feel like there's this huge solution because if she feels violated and like you're in the red zone you raped her it's terrible there's not a lot that you can do and unfortunately i feel like it's easier to blame men nowadays um
1: so i don't so know that you're going to get a lot stay away right stay
2: away yeah it, it, definitely you're not going to get the resolution that you think unless you guys were like homies homies then I would be like, no, dude, like, you have, there has to be a conversation. But you guys are coworkers; you're really in a dicey territory. And like, if anything, I would just say, you already apologized. I don't know that there's much you can do if she felt that way. That's how she felt. Um, And you have a very compelling argument for yourself for why that's not the case. But at the end of the day, people perceive things and, you know, in different ways. So as far as advice goes, I don't think that you can move forward and continue having a conversation what i would say is to stay away from her um don't yeah don't because she's already showing signs of she's hitting on you while being under the influence and then when she sobers up she regrets it and that's fine for her to live that but when she starts blaming you for what you did you can go to jail so yeah yeah. for your own for your own well-being stay away from her you don't need to have people like that around and then for her if I was her therapist I mean you would have to go at it from the victim perspective right which is totally different but the advice is for the guy so I just more so feel like stay away even as a friend like just kind of maybe like don't don't flirt with her anymore don't smoke with her anymore don't drink with her anymore Um, and if you start to build a sober friendship that maybe later you can touch on the topic Sure, but this is a very touchy subject that could have legal consequences. So tread lightly.
1: Yeah, that's scary though. That's that's so scary. scary. So scary. And not Mm -hmm. in not in like, man, you can't. My take has always been like listen, Mm -hmm. if 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 consent conversations were taking place in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, a lot of us wouldn't be here, you know, in the 90s and stuff like that. A lot of a lot of your parents made a mistake, got drunk, and fucked too soon, fuck without protection, you know, et cetera. And that's why a lot of the population is here. So at some point, I think it's weird that we try to legislate mistakes, or as a society try to say that people can't make mistakes. Of course, those mistakes in this case uh, result in people getting laid, or more dudes getting laid, right? Um, but I just sort of think number one, it's it, that's kind of a weird thing that we sort of try to that we see a problem as a society and we try to like, you know, like change it, shame people, do this, do that. The legalities of it is at the end of the day, if she was drunk and you were sober, Mm -hmm. a a case can be said for you making a a bad mistake, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Because then if, then the, then the jury is going to want to know how long was she at the bar? How many drinks had she had, you know, which, you know, when she got in the car, you know, you should have known blah, 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 this and that she, you almost hooked up once. You said something stupid, maybe because you were nervous. That was real, but it also was the dumb thing to say at the time. Um, And that put that thought into her head. Right. And then the thing is, was she too drunk the first time? And that sort of stopped it. And she felt that since she was drunk the second time, that you were also going to stop it. Right. Right. Because if you're with somebody and you're and you're both drunk and then you're like, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. We're both too drunk. And then the next time she's the only one that's drunk. Right. But this time you don't stop it and mm-hmm. you don't bring that up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That is the part where you might be the baddie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the fact that she gave you all those signals that when she got in the car, she kissed you, that she specifically wanted to go home with you earlier in the day when she was sober, Mm -hmm. I could understand how you could put yourself in that position. Unfortunately, and I don't think this is really saying an overcorrection is, is dumb because it's like a super, 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 super overcorrection because things have been, it's not like, no, girls
2: literally get roofied. Like, no yeah, like Hollywood
1: and Latinos is like an overcorrection from like a 96% thing. This is like a 1000% thing that's been happening. The patriarchy and, and, you know, uh, feminicide and all this other Mm -hmm. shit you know what i mean so this is like a good overcorrection you know you know Mm -hmm. believe all women um you know that that doesn't eliminate manipulative or evil women that might that might take advantage of something like this to put it over your head or go to hr you put yourself in a bad situation um pussy is undefeated and uh and 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 (laughs)
4: hello
2: (laughs) This is a sensitive topic.
1: (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. It's 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 hour two. So sometimes it slips Uh, up. uh, Um so listen, like I said, stay away. Um, keep your receipts. Uh just maybe write down your recollections and stuff like that so that you can sort of remember in case you get pulled in front of HR. Um and 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 just stay away. And if she approaches you and 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 don't don't make a joke out of it. You know, like I said, you you were right the first time when you said we're both too drunk to consent. And you Mm -hmm. said that as a joke, thinking you were still going to get laid. But when you say that as a joke the first time and then the second time when she's too drunk, but you're not, and you don't then then I can that 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 is the that is the part that you have to have a conversation with yourself about.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, yeah.
1: so, you know, good luck with that. Or if, if if if. Good luck with that, or rotten jail. One or the other. I'm just kidding. No.
2: <laughs> hope it all I'll, works out. Sorry.
1: Hope it works out. I mean, and you know, hey, there's some good, uh, there's some good uh, college programs in prison these days. I don't worry about oh my God, Lou. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I can't, I can't begrudge the the smoky rapey community. <laughs> what is this? What's wrong with that? <laughs> Listen, don't. What she doing? What is she doing? Double check, man. Make it a part of the thing you know is it do you like me doing this is this okay would you like more of this more of this you know you gotta you gotta have a conversation man you gotta you gotta just be verbalized what's the fuck's happening
2: mm-hmm.
1: all right all right real life dwight asks which bear is best
4: oh that's from the office wow
2: grizzly which, okay
1: grizzly i'm gonna go polar mm-hmm. bear because polar bear is the only bear that actually seeks out human flesh.
2: Oh, nice. I think I'll go with panda, because they're cute.
1: They're cute?
2: Yeah. What was Dwight's answer in the office? Was it grizzly?
1: Grizzly or black bear? Yeah. No, this is from when... uh, It's from when Jim came in dressed as Dwight and was... Oh, yeah. yeah, Yeah. And he's like, which bear is best? And he's like, wrong. I remember that. So whoever is a whoever submitted that is an office fan okay okay yeah. and our last one today comes from what's the name here punch the mansplainer in the nuts all right
2: <laughs> nice okay all
1: right uh so there's nice. this oh, i love when they spell white yt uh <laughs> So is this white at my job that always takes people's ideas from emails and message boards and reappropriates them as his own by writing company-wide emails about directions and all kinds of bull, mind you, mostly from women and people of color. I myself am female 32 and queer. So after a meeting the other day where he brought up some more of the same to make himself look good, I walked out the second that the meeting was over and had been visibly demonstrating my disdain for him while he spoke by eye rolling, et cetera. I was not being subtle, but because at this point, the only people not aware of his behavior are the upper uppers who upper up upper ups Mm. were not on all the email chains. He rushed behind me as I was leaving to go to my desk before lunch and start saying that I was undermining him, that I should be a team player. I said, I like those ideas when Belinda, fake name, came up with them last week and he said, yeah, but I put them into action items so they actually get done. I flipped him. Okay, I flipped him the bird without looking because at this point I was already looking for an exit and was pretty sure if the BS continued I was gone but he got real mad and ran after me and grabbed me by the shoulder while saying I'm a manager and I will not be disrespected without consequences as soon as I felt his head on me I saw a big green light and I swung around with a clipboard in my arm and smashed him straight in the nuts yes <laughs> cut to two hours <laughs> later me picking up my final check from HR <laughs> Hopefully, I already got my new job. The rest of management team stops by, tells me that I took one for the team, uh, that they can't retain me, but that they won't mention this incident if the other places call about me. Was I in the wrong by putting the mansplainer in his place?
2: No. No? I mean, it affects you in your professional life, so that sucks, but fuck no. Are you kidding me? That was great. Wait, as soon as he... No, I think she saw red as soon as he grabbed her. And I would do the same. You don't do that in the workplace. Even the flipping off, even though that's just a little disrespectful and crosses a certain line, it's still putting hands on someone is different. You know what yeah, I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, we talk a lot about gray area stuff on on, on Way, You know, so, so yeah, the like the gray area of the previous question is like the consent question. And the gray area here is as soon as somebody touches you, do you have the right to defend yourself and retaliate? And I think yes. Mm-hmm. More cases if somebody violently grabs you by the shoulder and you feel that you are under attack, then yeah. Especially Mm -hmm. if 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 you know if they're a douchebag and and you already and you're already looking for another job and you're like,
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, you just you just saw an opportunity and you went with it.
2: Yeah. I love this person. Good for you.
1: Yeah. So we we got rapey stoners and angry lesbians watching us. Angry lesbians
2: hey man
1: we the... got creepy stoners and we got angry violent lesbians watching us and did she
2: say she was a lesbian
1: she says she was female 32 queer
2: ah sick okay cool nice
1: that can that can mean not lesbian right
2: yeah that can mean many things but yeah yeah
1: yeah that, can that sounds a like
2: a me. that sounds like our viewers yeah i'm that so proud like a... of most of you I'm proud of you, the mansplainer.
0: The man's Mall. the mans the mans- mansplainer, Masher. The yeah. uh the
1: the having questionable sex with your coworker guy.
2: Yeah. Oh man.
1: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I feel
2: for him though, it's a certain extent. But just...
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough situation to be in, man. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's like I know people get shit on like for being like, oh, it's so hard for a man these worlds. It's, it's 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 not that it's so hard, it's that it's it's not as easy as it used to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah, it's, you can't it, get
2: away with shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it it definitely mm-hmm. not as easy as it used to be. You're and, definitely put
2: into more moral dilemmas than yeah
1: yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. And especially if you're if you're a management type or if you're like if you have any sort of like position in a company stuff like that, it's it's you're you're gonna be put into weird positions. It's better the it's better to err on the side of caution. Which is why I don't date actresses, and if I if I even talk to an actress, I very specifically tell her that I will never put you in any project, mm-hmm. I, I, unless you're a hundred percent perfect role. I'm not, you know. I'm just letting you know right off top, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can't. You, you got to be you got to be able to, to feel clean in this area because you don't want to have to sit there at night and be like, did I do the right thing? Did I blah, 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 blah. am I the baddie? Yeah, sometimes you are. You just gotta face mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But in busting the mansplainer's nuts open, I hate people who take credit for other people's work.
2: Yeah, that's fucking that is horrible. Yeah, that's or people up. that
1: repeat what you just say, and then everybody's like, Yes, I just fucking said that. I've been there. It's no fun.
2: Yeah. And then the audacity of like, oh well, basically, like I made it better, huh?
1: Yeah, Fuck. I'm the guy. You know? I mean, there is yeah. a certain there is a certain art to taking people's ideas and then breaking it down into action items to it get done. There is a certain skill in that. But it, but unless you give credit when credit is due, though. You gotta give credit. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta give credit. So don't be an asshole. Don't do that. All mm-hmm. right,
2: Sophia. Yeah. All right. Pretty
1: Those close. Those are to good two ones. Yeah, Pretty close to two it. hours. We did you it. Did it. All
2: sweet. right, guys.
1: We will try better next week. Uh you may I mean shit. If you were sick, you did a good job getting through it. Uh, Thank
2: you. I feel like I was so low energy. Sorry about that, guys. It's just so yeah, I'm a little good. under the weather, so yeah. You know. Who? I made it though.
1: Thank you, Deborah, for stopping by. Uh, thank you, everybody that listened. Uh, we had a lot of, we didn't have a lot. I mean, I think sometimes when we get into these deeper interviews, there's less people commenting because I saw there was a lot of people watching, but I think some. I think it's like when, we, when we're when we getting into these interviews and stuff like that, it's more like people just listen and stuff like that rather than, than interrupt, you know, and stuff like that. Because we're such good interviewers, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, we're like, really well, good.
0: So, so good. So they don't want to
1: ask, they don't want to ask questions because they're like, no, I could never ask a question as good as what Sophia and Lou are asking. Never. I, and never <laughs> all, right. all right. We'll we'll try better next week. Thank you, everybody. Peace out.
2: All right. Hasta luego.